Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Welcome to episode number 174 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Mark McEvely and I, Matt Jessup, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of the financial markets and financial planning. This week, I have guest host Aaron Kramer with me, CFP. How are you, sir? I am happy to be back again. I am doing well. It's Thanks. great to see you. Yes, it's back. glad to be back on it. Looking good, too, by the way. Thanks. Encouraging people to obviously... Um, Watch us on YouTube so they can, <laughs> they can, they can see you. So um, before we begin, as always, I don't want to take a few seconds to recap the performance for the month and year for the major indices that we track, Aaron. These numbers are as of the market close on November 2nd, and this data is from StockCharts.com. The S&P 500 index month to date down 2.9% for the year, down 21.12%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 1.79% for the month and down 11.53% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index down 4.22% for the month and down 32.73% for the year. The iShares Russell 2000 ETF that tracks the small cap index is down 3.19% month to date and down 19.43% for the year. The Vanguard um, All World X United States ETF is down 0.26% for the month and down 23.91% for the year. And then on the on the fixed income uh, treasury side, three-month treasury rate this morning, 4.14%, the two-year treasury rate 4.7%, and the 10-year treasury rate 418 I'll go ahead and dig into big headlines and current events, Aaron. Absolutely. Please do. Obviously, you know, the market is uh, still trying to digest the Federal Reserve announcement from yesterday. Right. Um, I'll read this verbatim and then we can have a little roundtable about it. Sounds great. The Federal Reserve did raise interest rates by the anticipated uh, 75 basis points or 0.75 percent. That brings short term borrowing rates up to the range of 3.75 to 4 percent. The market had a positive reaction initially because they updated some wording in their press release that said, and I quote, the Fed will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, and economic and financial developments, end quote. And then during the press conference, as Jerome Powell, who's the Federal Reserve chair, was questioned and pressed on the topic, he said that, well, of course we're going to fight inflation, and of course we're going to raise until we don't have to anymore. Right. And that's what really spooked the markets mm -hmm. is, you know, this is the first time the Fed actually added language that admitted the following. They understand that, quote, lag with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, meaning mm -hmm. they know it's they have delayed. to stop. You know, it's kind of like when you have a, a semi-truck going at 80 miles an hour. It's got to plan ahead. You got to plan ahead to stop. <laughs> right. Right. It, yeah. I think that's that's interesting because um, kind of in the in the 1970s, they didn't have that understanding. And that's why inflation stuck around for so long. And kind of the flip side, I think they have to know that 
they can't raise too aggressively in too long because they're going to throw could potentially throw the the U.S. into a deeper recession. Right. So I think they have to kind of walk that fine line of when is it time that they stop raising rates or actually start to begin cutting rates. Right. That's right. And I think if you look at um, the futures market, so one way people kind of look at what is the market anticipating, it looks at interest rate futures on uh, the CME, the Chicago Mm -hmm. Mercantile Exchange. And I think right now it's somewhere they're thinking it will cap out somewhere around five to five and a quarter is what the futures market was indicating at least last evening. Um, and so last evening would have been November 2nd when uh, I went home. And you can see the Fed funds rate currently is between 3.75 and 4. Right. So right? you got another percent, percent and a half to go, right? Yeah. And so, you know, where I stand on this is the data on the inflation side mm-hmm. is definitely lagging. And it's going to catch up and catch up right. quick, quicker right. than people anticipate. And it's yet to be determined, you know, if how far in advance in my semi-truck braking analogy, Mm -hmm. when are they going to begin to brake? Right. When are they going to brake? When are they going to pause? When are they going to let it coast? And I think that's the best analogy I could provide with this. I love that. That's a great analogy. And ultimately, in my opinion, I was... um, um, I was watching some of the financial news stations between 2 and 4 o'clock yesterday. Mm -hmm. I was watching Bloomberg. And there's a gentleman on there, and I believe he was from Guggenheim Research, which is an institutional money manager. And he sat there and said, well, I think S&P earnings, if the way the Fed's going to continue at this trajectory, they're going to come down from $250 to $200. Hmm. And I grossly disagree with that statement. Right, yeah. Because what you're assuming, if you run the numbers on that... Mm -hmm. That average earnings will go down by 20%. Right. And this goes back to what I've been saying for the last couple of months. One of two things has to happen with stock prices. Okay. Either they need to start reflecting the earnings resiliency. Yes. Of which the underlying companies uh, have had and at least in this last earnings season have yeah, represented. I, I, have a, I have a pretty good tweet that's going to kind of back all of what you're saying up. So continue, please. Or, I didn't know that, by the way, (laughs) or you really need to have a true deterioration in earnings. Right, right. Which we haven't seen. Which we haven't seen. And then look at the job openings. I look at all my tea leaf key indicators. Mm -hmm. I'm not seeing that. And that's part of the confidence that kind of gives me that. I think that, you know, the, the earnings recession that everyone's all waiting on. Right question if it's really going to happen. I agree. I completely agree. So anything else you want to say about the Fed? I have one more little small little headline. No, no. I think that I think you summed it up pretty well. So next week, the government reports inflation with the much anticipated consumer price index report CPI that is due out next Thursday on November 10th. Let's pivot to tweets, articles, and research from the week. Aaron, I'll let you kick it off. I will kick it off because this one goes perfectly with what you were saying. Okay. Um, this is a tweet from Bespoke on uh, November 1st, and it's um, it's a data point on corporate profits, right? So uh, the tweet says, we're now up to 792 earnings reports this season. Beat rates remain strong at 70% for EPS, earnings per share, 
and 68% for sales. Hmm, can you tip it into my good ear? <laughs> Do you want me to reread it? No, it's good. <laughs> Slightly more companies lowering guidance than raising, and the average stock is up 0.3% on its earnings reaction day. Uh, decent numbers, Bespoke says. So uh, there's a little chart that, that doesn't matter too much. I think the kind of their, their, um, their tweet there was kind of the data that I wanted to highlight. So I really think that kind of reaffirms what you just said is that earnings reports are still holding up and corporate profits are, are remaining strong and um, about half are still raising guidance, right? So, yeah. And again, you know, you're always going to have sectors in any sort of economic environment that are, that are uh, missing estimates, uh, underperforming, doing financial saving tactics, layoffs, right. cost cutting, etc. Well, and not every industry and not every company is going to do as well as every there, there's a lot of competition out there too. So yeah, you can't yeah. expect every single company to consistently meet and beat. And the ones that do, I think should get rewarded in their share price. Right? Yeah. And I think ultimately what you've seen in a lot of names year to date is that growth rates have come in mm -hmm. from what they expected earnings to grow year over year. But, but for they're a majority, still raising, they're still up growing year right? over year. But what, what does their stock price indicate? that they would be down 20%, right? And so it kind of makes me feel that, you know, the classic Wall Street issue is that when everyone's anticipating kind of the mm -hmm. same thing from happening, you tend to want to want to do the opposite. Exactly. Contrarian. I yeah. love that. Well, she got. Yeah, I, I have another tweak from Beast uh, Bring today. it on. So Bespoke has had some really good info. That's, um, I love this. So this next tweet is again on November 1st, um, and it's a uh, it's a look at the S&P sector ETF total returns since Election Day of 2020. Oh. And it says, anything stand out, question mark. And um, what, what listeners are going to notice uh, on this chart is that the XLE or the energy sector uh, of the S&P 500 is up 236% since uh, 2020. And pretty much everything else is mid single to double digits, nowhere even close to, to that. So uh, kind of what are, what are your thoughts about that? I think it's first of all funny how um, the uh, President Biden's administration um, since his election has been the most I think uh, negative and hostile towards energy in general, and it's, and it's the best performing the best. sector. <laughs> and there's a, there was a lot of reasons we could go into as to right. why, which you know kind of makes it's me chuckle. Ironic, yeah. Um, you know, but on top of that, I think it just goes to show you, you know, how much this market has corrected mm -hmm. in roughly the last twelve months. Right, right. And it's had this this virtual kind of this reset. And again, unless I see kind of a true erosion of earnings, which I personally don't think is the most likely outcome. Anything's possible. Right. Um, I just, it, it just, um, it's a little bit of a head scratcher. Yeah. I think it also just goes to show that, I mean, obviously listeners probably know this, but energy, oil, gas is so geopolitically dependent that that's kind of why it's the one outlier I would highlight as well. Agreed. Right. Agreed. Okay. Um, I got one more article for you. It's okay. a good one. All right. Um, it's an article from Financial Advisor Magazine, um, and it's titled Delaying Social Security Has Rarely Been This Profitable. And um, this is by Alexis uh, Leondis, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, so I just wanted to highlight a few points that she made in this article because I thought they were really, 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 really good. Okay. Um, so 
it's uh, she says it's no secret that delaying the start to Social Security benefits typically means you'll get more in retirement money, right? So typically each year you delay it beyond your full retirement age or beyond 62. Whenever you decide to take it, it goes up about 8% per year. So kind of the kicker with this year is um, even if you don't collect benefits, the cost of living adjustment that is going to be 8.7% for 2023 still gets factored into the amount you're eligible to receive starting at 62. Boom. So you get an 8.7% cost of living increase. And if you wait another year or two years or three years, you get 8% per year added and compounded on top of that. That's substantial. It's very substantial. So, um, she goes on to say, COLA's uh, cost of living adjustments magnify the disparity between early and late claiming. Um, That's the key point right there. Yes, exactly. So um, just another example, in 2013, when the cost of living adjustment uh, was 1.5%, kind of a really, really massive difference right now. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that has to do with inflation. But uh, in my opinion, kind of going off of this article, I think it makes sense for a lot of people to consider waiting uh maybe delaying it a year if that makes sense again that's not not to lump everyone in the same bucket but if you can afford to wait um having those kind of compounding eight percent and eight percent um with the cost of living adjustment makes a lot of sense to me and with people living longer nowadays it typically makes sense to delay social security all the way until age 70 as long as your life expectancy is about 82 and a half years old. So I agree, which, uh, life expectancies are, are getting up near that, that range, especially for women as well. So, um, yeah, a really, really interesting article. I really liked it. Um, and kind of highlights kind of the, the compounding factor of social security benefits and right. All of those returns are guaranteed. Right. So that's the, that's the tricky thing yep. that you have to think about. That's right. Okay. No, I love that. I'm glad yeah, you highlighted pretty that. Good one. Right. All righty. You ready for me? I'm ready. All right. I got a couple good ones, I think, this week. So the first is a data point on where we stand with what I perceive to be supply chain issues and inflation. Okay. You ready mm-hmm. for this, AC? I'm ready. So the first is a tweet by Liz Ann Saunders. She's chief investment strategist at Schwab. This is from October 28th. So I'll, I'll read what the tweet says first. Okay. Simply remarkable. Shipping rates on 40-foot containers from Shanghai to LA have slipped below long-term average going back to 2011, full series, putting to bed the notion that shipping rates are still elevated relative to the entire pre-pandemic era. Okay? Wow. Now, um, Jenna's going to put this chart up uh, for our YouTube viewers. Mm -hmm. And it'll also be in all of our show notes and all of our social media on the various sites, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, etc. But the reason I'm showing this is when uh, COVID hit and all these supply chain issues were out there. Right. Right. Everyone needed yesterday. Increase. I need it. I'll pay whatever I need to. I need it. You saw these containers for a 40 foot container go up from about the, the 2000 to 4,000 range. That's a conservative kind of way of saying right, it. Right, right. It went to above $12,000. It quadrupled, right? Well, yeah, and you're back down below the long-term average. Right now, the spot price it set on this chart, and this is again from uh, October 28th, was uh, $2,412 to send that 40-foot container 
across the Pacific. Yeah, what's shocking to me is that it's below the long-term average rates, even as inflation has remained high. And those kinks in the supply chain worked themselves out pretty quickly, didn't they? That's the point right there. Yes. That's the point, right? And so think about that. You know, think about the supply chains. Well, I just remember hearing on the news headlines, all those ships just sitting out, waiting to get unloaded outside of L.A. ships outside Long Beach. Remember that? I do. I do. So just to kind of an update that, um, you know, supply chains are are normalizing, I think, a lot quicker than people anticipate. Scare headlines have indicated. Right. I know that I remember on the podcast we were talking about all the magazine covers. (laughs) Right. Were exactly what you're saying. There are pictures of all these container ships. This is going to take right? years to, to, to normalize. I'm not saying there's still not kinks in the system, but this is definitely a very interesting it data is. point. It's, it's interesting how quickly they've fallen as well. Yes. All right, my next thing, and I talk about this in, uh, in the peaks and troughs when it comes to optimism or bearishness in the market. My next piece is a highlight of how much bearishness, Aaron, is really out there. This is really interesting. I like this. Okay. And um, this is a, uh, a tweet from um, Helena Meister, and I'm probably pronouncing her name wrong. You want to give a stab at it? I think it's Helene Meisler. Meisler. I, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so she is great because um, uh, she has a lot of content, um, and uh, she's a uh, writer for Real Money. Okay, great. So the first thing is a chart that says, quote, this is kind of interesting. In the 2007-2009 bear market, we had plenty of times where the bull-bear ratio was positive. Now, what that's indicating is Mm -hmm. that people who were bullish outnumbered the number of people who were bearish. Right. Got it? We've only had exactly one week with a positive ratio since the year of 2022 started, Aaron. Wow. Now, it's accompanied with the chart that reflects this, and it shows you how many more um, uh, bearishness there is out there than there is bulls, and this comes from the AAII, which is a individual investor survey. Mm-hmm. And the thing I like about this is the data sets go back decades. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Goes, decades. So this chart goes all the way back to 2002, right? This one specifically does. And so, <laughs> excuse me, with that being said, it makes me have this viewpoint. If everyone is so bearish, okay, mm-hmm. you've already, for the most part, allocated your portfolios to reflect that stance. Right. Okay. Gotten more conservative, most Gotten likely. Gotten more conservative. You've raised cash, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and the last time I was in the podcast recently, I highlighted the percentage of cash that the average mutual fund has yes. in comparison yep. to history, which is also at a multi-decade high. The point I guess I'm trying to make is you're now seeing so many people that are, quote unquote, in my opinion, on the sidelines, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Everyone's kind of looking around in the room and saying, okay, who's well, going to make the first move? Who's going to make the first move? I'll wait. And then we're all going to pile in. And, and then a lot of those people are going to miss it, right? And a lot will. And what's going to happen is whether it's a week from now, mm-hmm. whether it's a month from now, whether it's six months from now, whether it's a year from now, 
That money's going to start flowing somewhere. When money starts to flow in, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be next week. Right. Okay. But I want to remind people, this is not a market that I would recommend having any relatively co- uh, um, high degree of confidence that you can time. Because no, absolutely this not. is going no to market, be, in, really? in, right. yeah, but especially right now. I mean, this, the, the, the spring has been compressed and you just don't know when that sucker is going to get released. Right. And all it takes is one comment from the Federal Reserve uh, president in three weeks. Yep. It takes the Federal the Reserve minutes. Right. And it just, this is just an environment where, you know, corporate profitability has been so resilient. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing the bearishness just so high that um, I'm going to argue at, at a certain point here, the risk to a rip your face rally to the upside compared to another dramatic down lake, that's something that you really need to think long and hard about. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. In my, in my opinion, there's, there's several catalysts. It out there that could cause the market to rip, right? And, and kind of my opinion is the midterms, corporate profits, right? Earnings season had, um, I want to say the Dow had its best month in October since 1976, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, a, there's, in my opinion, a lot of potential catalysts out there that could, could cause the market to rip and trying to time that is nearly impossible. That's my right? words of wisdom, right? That's my words of wisdom. And then um, the next one I have, and this is my last one before I'll turn it back over to you for the financial planning topic of the week, Aaron. Perfect. Um, I got some bespoke raw Again. data. Again. You know, I like the raw data because you can't, you, there's, you can't spin that. The That's right. The data is what it is. It allows you to form your own opinion on That's it, That's right? right. You can interpret the data the way you want, but the data is what it is. Exactly. Okay? So this data <clears throat> from bespoke, Aaron, is from October 31st. Okay. It's going to be the four-year presidential cycle going back to 1928, okay? it's a lot of data. Yes. So if you look at this, and I'm now going to quote Bespoke for a second, the four-year presidential cycle going back to 1928 is also turning from a headwind to a tailwind for stocks. Historically, year two of the presidential cycle this year has been the worst for the S&P of the four-year cycle going back to 1928, while year three, which would be next year, 2023, has been the best. Mm -hmm. Year two of the election cycle has seen the S&P gain just 56.5% of the time. But year three has seen the S&P gain 82.6% of the time. Next, Jenna, for our YouTube viewers, is going to put up a chart from Bespoke that shows the S&P 500 throughout the four-year presidential election cycle with the index's performance during uh, President Biden's term so far overlaid. Again, while the magnitude of the move in the current cycle is much larger than average, the patterns are not dissimilar. So next... Uh, what I want to highlight, and again, this is a really good chart. I would encourage our traditional podcast listeners to go to our show notes and see, because what you're going to look at is the year three definitely tends to be the best performing year of the four year cycle. On average, in year three, the S&P 500 going back to 1928 
has gained 13.51% on average that specific year three of the four-year cycle, Aaron. That's it's very telling. It's a, it is very telling. It's it's doubling or more than doubling the other, the other three, three year years, one, right? Two and four. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so again, you know, my message for viewers and listeners is it's been a long year. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. It's been a long year. It's been a tough market. It, it's, it's, it's like water torture. It's a mm -hmm. constant drip and I get right. it. And the thing that I like to just kind of remind people is until I start to see a large erosion in corporate earnings that would justify these lower prices, I'm going to remain optimistic, my personal opinion. And in addition, I just think that with the amount of bearishness that is out there, mm -hmm. the amount of cash that's on the sidelines, my words of wisdom is this is not a timeable market. Now, it never is, but this is like one of those where you it, could literally really not, right? on different pieces of news, you could literally have just as much as you could have down days. You could have a six, seven, eight, even more single up day on any specific potential catalyst. Right. Yeah. Be careful out there. This is not a timeable market. It's time in the market. Absolutely. In my opinion, that drives success. We've talked many times about missing out on the various number of positive updates. Yeah, if you miss a couple you, of you the biggest updates in a calendar year, you can miss out on 10, 15%, right? You could. So just be careful out there. This is a time, this is an, an environment where you know, continue to invest for your risk tolerance for the long term. Absolutely. All right, I'll Love turn it that. back over to you. Awesome. Well, um, just last piece is the financial planning topic of the week. Um, I've got another article here. Um, it's from Vetify or Advisor Perspectives um, is the the website. And it's going to be about 529 contribution limits for 2022 and 2023. Okay. So this article is by Javier Simon. And it's from uh, actually September 28th. So let me get this teed up real quick. And uh, I just wanted to, again, highlight a couple of the points that, that Javier is making. I don't want to read the whole article. Great. Um, so contribution limits range by state. So it is state to state dependent. Um, so there's maximums not really per year that you can put in. There's really no maximum. Um, the only thing to be mindful of is going to be um, the lifetime gift exclusion, right? So um, I wanted to highlight kind of the maximums and just give some listeners a couple ideas on how you can uh, how you can utilize these 529s, whether it's grandparents, parents, all that good stuff. Great. Um, so the, the plans range from 235,000 that you can have in the 529 plan all the way up to 550,000 um, per plan or per beneficiary, right? So uh, typically 529s are gonna be owned by a parent or a grandparent um, of the potential college student, right? So um, you can have as many 529s the, the parent could open depending mm -hmm. on how many kids they want to have as beneficiaries. Okay. But again, those limits are gonna drastically vary by state, 235 all the way up to 550,000, okay? So um, again, with inflation being higher this year, the, the annual gift tax exclusion is going up. So theoretically, um, people can gift 16,000 now per year uh, per beneficiary. 
and not have to file a, uh, a gift tax uh, form, right? So Correct. Um, one interesting thing that is uh, maybe for, for people that do have a lot of college savings that they want to put into a 529 for a, a child or a grandchild is you can uh, contribute 80000 per year in one year now because of the, there's a five-year rule. Yes. Yes. To so, where it allows you to kind of do it up front, but play it over exactly, the five years. Exactly. So that's what I wanted to highlight is that that amount went up from, I guess, about 75,000 uh, now to 80,000. Um, so that's a, that's a really big chunk of change that you could throw towards a college fund and allow that money to grow tax free. Right. Kind so of front loaded a little bit, front load it, allow it to grow a little bit faster. Um, typically it's not it, a bad it, time with where the market yeah, is exactly, relatively speaking. Exactly. So, um, I think if you do have the cash that you're, they're wanting to, uh, contribute to your child or grandchild's college fund. Um, I would, I would say maybe now's a great time to do it. Um, especially with the limits going up. So, um, again, there's, there's different benefits by state, some uh, some 529 plans are going to have tax deductions or tax breaks. Sure. But it's really going to be dependent on the state. So it's it, it gets a little bit confusing because some states are, are very generous and some states are not at all. So mm-hmm. um, it's something that you have to be be mindful of, of which state you're in. And um, interestingly, there's also some 529 plans that the investments, in my opinion, are better in certain That's states. That's a good right? point. That's right? a good point. So um, I would say if listeners are, are thinking about opening a 529 plan, I would shop it around depending on which state, especially if your state doesn't offer any tax benefits, it might make sense to go to another neighboring state or say Virginia 529 versus Kentucky 529, right? So there's, um, I would just shop it around and kind of do do some research on which 529 plan might be the best from the, the investment standpoint, because some are going to have just kind of basic target date funds, and some might have a bigger kind of range of investment I options, love that. right? So, I love that, yeah. Yeah, um, just kind of was thinking about, um, I think I had a client ask about 529s recently, just kind of prompted my, my thinking on what's going on with them, right? I love that, Aaron. Okay. I love that. Um, any other thoughts you have? Any Anything no. on your mind? Nope. Nope. Uh, next week, uh, Mark and I will be recording the podcast. Uh, we're going to be at uh, <clears throat> an investment conference. You'll be with us, my friend. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to be out in uh, in San Diego. Uh, there is a, a conference that we're going to be at, and uh, Mark and I are going to tape uh, earlier in the week. Uh, we're going to do it uh, by Zoom, and I know Jenna will work her tail off to uh, uh, piece that together and, and uh, have the content for our viewers and listeners next week. So as always, Jenna, we appreciate your hard work and so Mark and I will record that remotely and I know you and I and, and Mark and, and Nick and Taylor, we're all looking forward to the conference and yeah, it's going to be a great conference. Yeah, so I mean, fortunately just, I get to, I get to knock out a lot of my continuing education. So there you it's go. Be a lot of fun. There you go. <laughs> and again, this is a reminder, um, you know, Aaron does have his, uh, CFP as certified financial planner, uh, certification. And that also comes with a lot of responsibility. It does. <laughs> uh, so you'll be uh, busy. Never not learning, right? Never not learning. You'll be busy with those sides. And uh, yeah, it'd be good to network uh, with uh, with peers in our industry and, and kind of see what others are, are thinking. Yeah, I'm really excited to see some of the kind of growing technology in the in the industry and always the ever ongoing compliance and regulations that we get to learn about, right? So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're a very regulated industry. <laughs> and, you know, there a lot of those regulations are there for good reasons. Absolutely. And we have to make sure we adhere to them. And you know, uh, again, you know, I just want to end it with this, I think, you know, um, it's been a long year, it's been a tough year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this will pass, 
you know, the underlying resiliency of, of corporate earnings over the last many decades um, has been tremendous. And, um, you know, these are times where people tend to let emotions guide decisions. And I would just invest for the long term. Absolutely. Love All that. Right. All right, everyone. Take care. Thank you for listening to episode number 174 of the Independent Advisors podcast. Uh, Aaron, and I appreciate you guys listening. And Mark and I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.